In this sermon series, we're studying the wisdom psalms. These lyrical lessons to live by proclaim practical understanding for our daily lives while pointing us to Jesus, the very embodiment of all wisdom. This content comes from Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia, and you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. Uh, maybe you're familiar with the name uh, John Newton. He wrote the song Amazing Grace. Uh, that's probably what he's most famous for. He, he also shared the gospel, proclaimed the truth of the word of God quite frequently. One of the, the stories that he would tell, one of the examples he would give when he was uh, preaching the word would be of a man who had inherited a million dollars, which you're talking the late 1700s, early 1800s. I looked it up. It's about $21 million today, so I'll take that. Um, if anybody wants to write me into their will, uh, that would be a nice inheritance. So he lived outside of New York City a ways off. He inherits $21 million. He has to travel, or a million dollars, but our equivalent, $21 million has to travel to the city to get it. So uh, in that day, he hitches up the wagon to the horse, and he takes the, the trip in. It's a long enough trip that he, he needs the, the wagon. But what John Newton was doing was comparing this to the Christian life, that we, too, are on a journey. And at the end of this journey, there is an inheritance for the children of God infinitely more than we could ever dream or, or imagine, awaiting for us in glory, in eternal inheritance for us. And so no matter how short or long the route may be, no matter how it is that we have to travel, there is an inheritance that we look forward to. In the second half of Psalm 37, uh, we'll have the same thing done for us. We'll have that reminder today of the inheritance that is to come for the people of God. To put it this way, what we'll see today is that in a world where wrongdoers win, that was the theme of, of last week, we talked about how this psalm is a how-to guide for living in a world where wrongdoers win, where bad people have good things happen to them and good people have bad things happen to them. In a world where wrongdoers win, our actions must be motivated by our eternal inheritance, not our temporal experience. That's the point of the second half. Psalm 37, last week we focused on our reactions. How do we react in a world where wrongdoers win? This week it's the other side of the coin. How do we act? What are our actions and if our actions are motivated by the now, by the current situations and circumstances of this world, then our motivations will be a roller coaster ride. Because circumstances and situations change all the time. And so Psalm 37, second half of it, calls us to have our actions motivated by something with infinitely more staying power than, than our temporal experience. In a world where wrongdoers win, our actions must be motivated by our eternal inheritance, not our temporal experience. Father, today, what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Last week, we talked about a pattern. 
of imperatives and indicatives. And so we won't flesh that out again, but we see that pattern play out in the second half of Psalm 37 again, just like we saw it play out last week. That there will be indicatives in verses 32 through 40 that we'll look at. These are truths about God and promises from God. They are indicatives. They are fast and firm and undeniable and unchanging truths about God and who he is and what he promises. And then off of those indicatives, motivated by those indicatives, those promises, we'll examine in verses 21 through 31. We're going to go flip-flop again this week. We're going to do 21 and 31 second. We'll see imperatives, actions, calls that we are uh, motivated to, to uh, live out in the uh, motivated by those, those promises. Those are the imperatives. So we'll start first with, with the indicatives, with the promises. In verses 32 through 40, we see God's promises for the righteous. We'll start in verse 32. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. He, he seeks the harm of the righteous. The Lord, however, will not abandon him to his power. Or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Promise one, indicative one. God gives the righteous an eternal innocence. God gives the righteous an eternal innocence. He chooses who is right or who will be judged righteous and who will be condemned. The world doesn't. The standards of the world don't. God's standards are what matter. Listen, though, you want to end up on someone's hit list, not physical hit list, but, but maybe character assassination hit list, live righteously. We're in a post-Christian nation, by the way, if you haven't noticed. If you haven't woken up to that reality, we're a little bit behind in West Virginia, I get it. Uh, we tend to be a few years back of these kind of cultural trends, but that's the trend. We're trending to be a post-Christian nation where Christianity is no longer the uh, kind of fixed, held-to standard of our society. And with that, and, and there'll be some good that comes out of this, by the way. There'll be some scary things that come out of it, too. But with that, the list of biblical truths that if you hold to them will be costly is growing longer and longer and longer. So you may live righteously, and be condemned by the world. That's the point. Is that the, the wicked, the unrighteous, may look at the life of the righteous and say, that's wrong. Whether it's as small as just being ridiculed, as maybe being on the wrong side of history, or, or being a prude, to the point of maybe, at some point, legislation that goes against those who want to live in accordance with God's way. I don't know a timeline, and I don't have one for you. For today, we still have many freedoms to practice our faith in Christ. It may not always be so, but regardless of what the world says, regardless of what uh, statements of condemnation they level against the children of God, it is God who, who deems who is righteous. 
We have a promise. Romans 8 is one place we see it. All through Romans 8, we see that the condemnation of the world, we're free from that. We're not free from the temporal, maybe, results of of condemnation, but we're free from any lasting, true tribulation. Romans 8 gives us a list of what we may experience in this life, by the way. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. But it says in all these things we are more than conquerors. That no matter what the world brings against us, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who will bring a charge against the Lord's elect? It is God who justifies. And so the charges brought by the world, the condemnation brought by the world cannot stick. That's promise one. God gives us eternal innocence. It is his gift to the children of God and nothing and no one can steal it, steal it from you. Promise number two, God gives the righteous an eternal inheritance. There is a lasting and eternal inheritance for all the children of God. Verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. Last week we saw in verse 11 a reminder that the meek will inherit the land. That there is a promise to the meek. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The earth, all of it. Watch this. this is, I don't know if you have reckoned this reality for the children of God. But the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world... Okay, so the promise to Abraham and his offspring were that he would be heir to the world. The book of Hebrews, other uh, Pauline epistles, uh, letters from Paul, spell out argument after argument for how we, as the children of God, as Christians, are now the offspring of Abraham. Not by DNA, but by spiritual promises that will be delivered to the people of God. We inherit the promises of Abraham, and Abraham's offspring were promised the entire world. 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23. So let no one boast in men, for this is to the children of God, all things are yours. Whether Paul, the things that Paul teaches, those belong to the children of God. The things that Apollos, Apollos taught, the promises of God, the truths about God, those belong to the children of God. Cephas or Peter etc., or the world. Like, you could just skip over that line really quick if you're not paying attention. Or life, or death, or the present, or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Did you know that the inheritance for the children of God is everything? It will all be yours to be shared with God in Christ as the children of God. Every last bit of it. The point is this. Romans 8, 17. If you are children of God, then you are heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. You have to listen to me beyond the next sentence I'm about to say. The very first sentence I say is going to throw some of you for a loop. And that's fine. I know some of you well enough. It's going to throw you for a loop, so keep listening even after it. The Bible teaches health, wealth, and prosperity. 
Not in this life, but in the life to come. You can't deny it. It's there. Health, wealth, and prosperity belong to the children of God. Where the false teachers get it wrong is in the time. We were in Uganda. Uh, we've been a bunch, but the first time we were there, 2016, we were driving through town and we saw this long line of, of people lined up for blocks and blocks. And they all had those yellow containers that if you've ever been to Africa or watched a documentary, particularly on like clean water, those, uh, those yellow pitchers they carry water in. And they're all waiting in line, and as you drive past, eventually that line is beginning to form in front of a church. And I ask, what's this all about? And our driver tells us that there's a preacher there, a wolf in sheep's clothing, who has put a church over a natural spring. And that water that comes from it is, by his statement, water from God. And if you take that water and put it in your home home will be blessed. If you put it in your business, your business will succeed, and all you have to do is pay him 20,000 Ugandan shillings to put it in there. Now, it's only $7 US dollars. If you know anything about Uganda, that's an entire week's income for the vast majority of people who are waiting in that line. That's evil. That's a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that must be condemned that is the rankest of rank and the most evil of evil this side of the ocean there are wolves in sheep's clothing too who will promise you your best lives now if you sow a seed with them of twenty dollars it'll turn into two thousand dollars and they pray too on the most desperate people their hope and their need for things and Jesus just becomes a ticket, a ticket to blessing, a ticket to a BMW, a ticket to, you know, uh, a better life. What do you do with the ticket when you get to your destination? Unless you're like a scrapbooker, you throw it away. You're done with the ticket. Jesus is not just a ticket, but what happens, right? In our rush to condemn things like that, which we should... Sometimes we can lose sight of the fact that we are children of promise. That there are promises for the children of God. Right now, today, spiritually, God pours out blessings on you. Inwardly. Soul-level blessings. The richness of His grace cannot be measured. The strength and power of the cross cannot be measured. The health of the soul as it is transformed by the gospel cannot be, be measured. And one day, in glory, as we just read, we will inherit the earth. It will all be ours. So yes, the Bible does teach health, wealth, and prosperity, but not like the false teachers teach. Their timing is off. The end for the children of God is an eternal inheritance. And all of God's children will share in it together. Promise number three, we find in verses 35 through 38. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man 
spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace, but transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. Promise one was that there's an eternal innocence for the children of God. Promise two is that there is an eternal inheritance for the children of God. Promise three is that there will be an eternal legacy for the children of God. We saw this in Psalm 1. We saw it again last week. I'm not going to flesh it all the way out here, but to put it simply is this. The wrongdoer's wins are temporal. The wrongdoer does not have legacy wins. It doesn't mean he doesn't win. The wrongdoers win all the time. But their wins are temporal. His legacy is just a puff in the wind. For the righteous, for the true children of God, they leave a lasting legacy. Promise number three, or promise number four, God gives the righteous an eternal refuge. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. The promise is refuge in times of trouble. It's not absence of trouble. It's not absence of suffering. It's not absence of Difficulty. The promise isn't even that wrongdoers will never uh, bring pain or suffering or wicked things against the children of God. The promise is that God will be our refuge whenever those things happen. One of the first verses that I learned uh, from my parents was from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not... Fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be cast into the heart of the sea, though the oceans roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. Here's why. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning comes. Our refuge, our strength, our uh, stronghold is promised for the children of God in the face of any suffering. God's promises to his children, eternal innocence, eternal inheritance, eternal legacy, and eternal refuge had a price, though. There was a price tag for those promises, a, a price tag we to pay these promises are bought for us by Jesus who though he was in the form of God and in the presence of God did not consider his position with God a thing to be grasped but he made himself of no reputation Jesus put skin on being found in human form the word became flesh and and dwelt among us and in him we beheld the glory of the only begotten son he was fully god fully man sinless but he came to his own and his own received him not 
Instead, they reviled him. They accused him. They condemned to death the sinless Son of God. And even while he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And even when he was scorned like a lamb being led to the slaughter, he would open not his mouth. And there on the cross, he would be wounded for our transgressions. He would be bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that would bring us peace would be placed upon him and by his wounds the children of God are healed through the death of Jesus Christ. Just like the serpent was lifted in the wilderness by Moses, if you remember, during that outbreak of of sickness and and death, so the Son of Man would be lifted up on on the cross for our salvation. And there on the cross, it was the the will of the Lord to crush him. And as Jesus cried out, it is finished. Our atonement, our healing, our ransom was was purchased. Like the song says, there ain't no grave that could hold that body down. Three days later, Jesus would raise victoriously from the grave. And in that moment, seal and complete the work of our atonement making us right with God in accordance with the Scriptures. And the finished work of Jesus, Jesus the just, on behalf of us, the unjust, has made it possible for many to be brought to God. For us to lay claim to those promises as ours. Because our big brother Jesus, Jesus the just, died in the place of unjust sinners like you and unjust sinners like me so because of the finished work of jesus on the cross instead of being children of wrath we get to be children of promise so we lay claim to the promises of the of psalm 37 and we respond in turn five imperatives but they go quick the first is this god calls his children to give generously The wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. We can give our time, our talents, and our treasures abundantly motivated by the uh, promises of God. We inherit the world. What's a hundred dollars? given to help build out a hospital in Togo, West Africa, when you stand as the child of God to literally inherit every single atom in the universe. Truly. that's We just read it. It will all be yours. You're actually just investing in something that will eventually be yours. Togo, West Africa. You'll have it. You'll have the deed. All of us will. That's $100. And that's your inheritance. What's a cup of cold water for the poor when you are quenched by the fountain of living water? With our eyes fixed on the marriage supper of the Lamb, which will be the feast for us in heaven in glory, we can now put extra seats around our dinner table and invite people in and share our time and energy and hospitality and things with them. What's an hour of your time 
when you have infinite minutes promised to you in the presence of God forever. You see how the promises of God influence us, motivate us to give generously. Now skip with me to verse 27. We'll come back to those verses in between. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints, they are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. God, Because of God's promises, he calls us to give generously. He also calls us to live, live righteously. We can do the right thing the first time every time without hesitation. But what if our good is evil spoken of, right? Well, you have eternal innocence. Before God, the world cannot condemn you. Do the right thing the first time every time. <laughs> Preaching to myself. What if our obedience opens the door for us to be victimized? Well, our God loves justice. And he will not forsake his saints. He will defend you. What if, what if walking in righteousness at work or with your neighbor leads you to be labeled like a like a, a do-gooder, a Ned Flanders type of person. God's going to give you an eternal legacy. What your neighbor says about you won't be your eternal legacy. What God says about you through Jesus will be your eternal legacy. So we can live righteously. And God calls us to speak boldly. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. We can share the gospel and speak up for righteousness fearlessly. Sharing the gospel with a friend, it may cost you a friendship. Share the gospel anyway. Generously and graciously offering advice to a struggling neighbor may, from the Bible, may make that relationship awkward. Offer that wisdom anyway. Utter wisdom. The wisdom of the gospel, the wisdom of the scripture. Humbly, humbly, mark that word, humbly, standing up for the unborn in the public square may get you labeled a right-wing nut job and Gently, mark that word gently, calling out racism at Sunday dinner with your family may get you labeled a left-wing commie. Speak anyway for justice. Graciously, kindly, lovingly, all those things, right? But when we, when we see wickedness, regardless, right? And there's something there you should, you should see. But most of us are going to end up with people on every side of the political spectrum at times wondering what the heck we're thinking. If we walk in step with Jesus. God will uphold your steps. If the ways of God are in your heart, then they will come out of your mouth. And even if the world labels you whatever, or condemns you however, the Lord will uphold your steps. So we can give generously because of our eternal inheritance. We can live righteously because... We have eternal innocence and eternal legacy, and we can speak boldly because of our eternal refuge. Back to verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord. 
When he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. God calls his children to delight in his ways purposefully, and the one who delights in the Lord will have his steps established. So here's the application for us today. What does it look like for you to delight in God's way of generosity? What does it look like for me to delight in God's way of of generosity? Is there a balance of time that you should be giving away to a nonprofit or to the church or to whatever cause, to your family, to, to wherever? Do you need to arrange your schedule so that you can give of your time? Is there a talent that you're withholding from the body of Christ that, that you feel the Holy Spirit tugging you to, to give? And what about your treasure? Are there resources that you should should be investing? Listen, God loves a cheerful giver. So delight yourself in God's way of generosity and He will establish our steps as people who are joyfully generous. What does it look like to delight in, in living righteously? Self-examination time. Are, are we full of integrity at work? Uh, are we serving our spouses selflessly? Are we loving our neighbor as we love ourselves? Are we living righteously? Are we pure in our minds, even behind closed doors? Try the fruit of the Spirit as a test. Galatians chapter 5, 22, and 23. Maybe write that down so you can go and, and meditate on it later. There's a, there's a long list of what it looks like to live righteously there. Love, joy, peace, patience. And I have to stop. Because I'm already called out by the fruits of the Spirit. Friday night and into Saturday morning, I carried churning with me. There was no peace There was no patience. And these lovely folks bore the brunt of it. My family. So take that list. What right? So some adjustments need to be made in my life for me to delight in living righteously. And unless I miss my guess, your lives are the same. Maybe take Galatians chapter 5, verses 2 through 23 and meditate on it. Ask God to cause you to delight in those things and he will establish your steps as one who who walks in righteousness. What does it look like for us to speak boldly? Is there someone in your life who's lost and far from God and they need the wisdom of the gospel spoken to them? Is there someone in your life who is a Christian but you can come alongside them as a mentor, as a discipler and speak the wisdom of the gospel into their life regularly, whether it's your kids or a or a family member, or a, or a co-worker, or a, or a neighbor. Someone in this church. What does it look like for us to speak boldly? What issues of importance that the Holy Spirit's leading you to? Well, you ain't got time. I ain't got time to speak on every issue of importance. We talked about that last week. We ain't got to rush to social media and talk about every issue of importance and have an opinion about every single thing out there. But I know with me, there are certain things that I feel God leading me to talk about, to speak on. And sometimes I remain silent out of fear, and sometimes I don't. 
Might we be marked as people who speak boldly about the wisdom of God and the justice, justice of God. Which brings us to the final thing. I have been young, David says. Remember last week I told you he wrote this in his old age? This is how we know. I have been young and now I am old. Yet, get this, I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. God calls his children to trust the long game. He is on your side. He will see you through. He will be your refuge. He will he purchased your innocence through the blood of Jesus. Your inheritance, your uh, legacy are all in his hands. Trust, trust the long game. If you commit yourself purposefully today to generosity and righteousness and, and speaking boldly, there's no promise of an easy road. In fact, the promise is probably the opposite. There's no promise in this life that you'll even win and that the wicked will start losing if you commit to those things. But the long game, you can trust the long game. That in the end, wrong will be right. That in the end, the righteous will receive their inheritance and the wicked will receive their, their punishment. You can trust the long game. John Newton's story went on that this man who was going to get his $21 million inheritance got one mile away from New York City, one mile away from $21 million when the axle on his wagon broke. The wheels collapsed down and the wagon was rendered useless. And what did that man do? The man did a Paul Bouquet. He got off the wagon, he cursed. He kicked the tires, he kicked the dirt, he spit on the ground, and he walked that final mile to his inheritance with anger in his heart, with churning in his stomach, cursing the broken wagon. Psalm 37 calls us to something different. To actively live joyfully on mission with God the Father, in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, with our heads up. To stop kicking the dirt. To stop cursing every broken wagon wheel we, incur we encounter in this life. And to press on towards godliness. That's what Jesus did. He trusted the long game. Being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself. Becoming obedient to the point of death. In this life, his obedience cost him his life. But watch what happened in the long game. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. First, he raised him from the dead. Then he highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus trusted the long game. And that long game brought resurrection for him and it brought many sons to glory. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He quotes Isaiah 53, by his wounds we are healed. That was the long game of the most wicked and brutal moment in human history when the Son of God was crucified. 
The long game was glory for God, for Jesus, and salvation for all the children of God. You can trust, you can trust the long game. But one last question. If you're here today and you're, you're not a Christian, Appalachian style, we'd say, have you been born again? Right? Van Morrison saying, did you get healed in your soul? Jesus asked it like this. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? If you're not a Christian, that's my question for you today. Do you believe this? That because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross that we spoke about earlier in the sermon, you can be made right with God. And not only that, but today, through faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, you can lay claim to all the promises of God for the children of God. Trust Jesus today. If you have more questions about what that looks like, I'll be here. I, I can't think of anything that would make this day better than to talk to you about what it looks like to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Child of God, we already applied the sermon. Give generously. Live righteously. Speak boldly. So we close delighting in these words. Remember last week I said this was the thesis statement for the second half of, of Psalm 37. Delight in these words as you hear them. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. This Bible here, Isaiah doesn't know this. It's going to be his one day. I'm in a five-year Bible reading plan through the Bible and I'm writing a bunch of notes in here. Here's one I wrote for Psalm 37. And gosh, I mean, I guess I get choked up because I so desperately want him to believe this. And because I so desperately want every single one of us in this room to believe what I wrote to my son. All these promises like a warm blanket. Keep Psalm 37 in an easy-to-reach place. You'll need it. You'll need it to fend off bitterness, doubt, rage, jealousy, etc. when you see the wicked winning and you feel like you're losing. Hold on to the promises. It is better to be God's child than anything else in all the world. So hold on to Jesus. And that'd be true for us. Because in a world where wrongdoers win, our actions must be motivated by our eternal inheritance, not our temporal experience. So commit to God's way. And hold on to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, Today, in, in your good grace, might we trust in the Lord and do good. Might we dwell in this land where the wicked win and befriend faithfulness while we do. May we delight ourselves in the Lord. 
knowing that you will transform our desires so that what we want is what you want. And when we want what you want, you will withhold no good thing from us. Might we commit our way to the Lord, to you, and trust in you, knowing that you will act. Give us confidence that you will bring forth our righteousness as the light, and that you will bring forth your justice as the noonday. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, we would love for you to join the work of God as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. You can learn more at our website at www.mercyvillage.church.